Jesus, you're the wind beneath my wings. Sweet Jesus, you're my melody and harmony. Sweet Jesus, you're the eyes that I see through. Sweet Jesus, yes, I'm dancing to your tune. Shall we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for dying our death, that we may live your life. We thank you for wisdom, we thank you for understanding, we thank you for a broken and a contrite heart. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, we thank you for the grace to stay in your presence. We thank you that we can call you Father, and we pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our midst in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. We thank God for another opportunity to continue our study on love. And last week, Benji took us to very important foundations for us to appreciate the concept of love. We want to really tackle it as holistically and as detailed as possible. So it will be a little bit long or the episode will be a lengthy one for the series, if I should say, will be a lengthy one. And I would just like to remind us all that with such topics, we are all at fault when it comes to working in love. As I said, I think when we're doing the prayer on love is that we all think that we work in love. And that's what has been robbing many of us from enjoying the word of God or the effect of the word of God is not taking place in our lives. Because we really think we are walking in the word when the reality is that we are nowhere close to it. We all think we are kind. We all think we are generous. We all think we tolerate. But we should not be like King Saul, who is always ready to put up a defense. But we should have the heart of David. Whenever the prophet Samuel told the king Saul about what he did, he was always explaining himself and giving out reasons. God says, kill everybody. He said, oh, you left the sheep and the goat and the cattle for sacrifice. God did not ask you for sacrifice. Every time you are putting up explanations, don't be somebody who's always explaining himself. When God's word comes to you, it's a word that should be received. Learn not to argue with the word. Because only then, that when you receive the word with meekness, that it can have effect in your life. So we are always making that effort to work in love. Even if you work in love 70%, the goal is 100%. So Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, that be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. And if you look at the context in which he was talking about, he was talking about love. That's when he talked about the fact that if someone tells you to go one mile, go with him two miles. I don't think we do this. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, I don't think we do this. So God is simply telling us this life that is in us, it's a life that calls for excellence, that calls for perfection. And as much or as many times as we hear the message of love, we must still keep hearing it until we get there. So I really want to encourage us that let's lay aside all naughtiness and superfluity of naughtiness and let's receive with meekness his engrafted word, he's able to save our souls. So we are continuing our study and we invite Benji, even as it continues on our study on love. Benji. Thank you for this opportunity. It is my prayer that at the end of this study, we are not just going to be in the extension. All right. So I believe last week we studied a lot of things and we looked at the definition of love and we took a definition from the book of First Corinthians chapter 13 and Apostle Paul gave and then the exegesis on what it means 
to have love. That's a God kind of love. And then we also looked at the origin of love. That love stems from the Father who is in heaven, not just the Father, but it stems from actually the Trinity. So each member of the Trinity plays a role in the love that God has bestowed onto man. So today we want to look at the subtopic that I've titled the God kind of love, or what we know as agape love, the God kind of love. All right, but before we look at the God kind of love, I want us to touch on a few stuffs. You see, there are different types and different kinds of love that we have or that exists here. So I want us to look into some of these ones. Then after that, we narrow down our focus for tonight. That's a God kind of love. Yeah, so based on your research, you can have, or when you look into, or when you study love, there are a lot of love according to different cultures. That's expands, and then there are differences because of the cultural differences that we have. So maybe in Greek, you have a lot of or different types of love. When you go to um, Latin, you also have different kinds of love. Let's when you come to Africa. So our cultural differences makes us have different types of love. And I want to touch on a few of them that are quite familiar with us and then we move straight on to us to be fortunate. Yeah, so the first one, I have about eight or let's see, nine of them here. So we touch on them and then we look at the God kind of love that we want to study for tonight. So the first one I want to touch on is Storch. Now the spelling is S-T-O-R-G-E. And that is the kind of love that is called the familiar love. So it's simply or from the definition, you can know that it's the kind of love that exists between parents and then their children. So that natural affection that a mother has for a child or a father, who both parents are for their children. We call that love storage or familiar love, yeah. So not just between parents and then their offspring, but let's say you can have it between um, your siblings and then your cousins, your aunties, your uncles, yeah. So the kind of bond that exists between families, we call it, or it is known as torch. Then we also have another kind of love that is called philia or filio, yeah. And that's what we call the affection love. And that one is the kind of love that exists between, or it's known as the brotherly love. It can also be known as friendly love or platonic love. So that kind of love that exists between friends or to some extent brothers. Yeah. So I want to give an example of this one as there's a scripture that quite makes it clear to us. Um, that was the love that existed between King David and then Jonathan. Now Jonathan, the son of King Saul. So I want us to read the book of First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 to 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would like you to kindly turn to that page. And then let's take a stroll in the Word of God. So the book of First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 to 3. And this um, passage is quite interesting in the show. I read, it says, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him 
go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Verse 4, it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his kettle. So this passage was talking about David and then Jonathan. And I believe this is the, uh, it's, I think it was the first time um, David met um, Jonathan. And the Bible was saying that um, they met, saying that their soul was knit together. And David loved Jonathan as his own soul. So David and Jonathan are two complete strangers. They don't know themselves from anywhere. They come from different families. But by reason of um, their meeting and through their relationship, they, they came to have a kind of friendship. And this is a perfect and an exemplary example of the kind of love that we call filia, that's a brotherly love. Yeah, so they don't know themselves from anywhere. They are just friends, but the love that existed between them was very strong and then intense. To the extent that when you continue to read the book of First Samuel, when Jonathan and Saul had passed on, David went on to look for the son of Jonathan. That's a few that He said, who else is in the house of Jonathan that I will find him and then bless him. Yeah, so even after Jonathan had left the scene, David continued to have that love for him. Went to the extent of extending that love to the offspring of Jonathan. So that's a perfect example of the kind of love that we call filia. I was going to read the book of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. The Bible says that a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that's to get closer than a brother. He says, a man that had friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that's to get closer than a brother. Yeah, so this is just to buttress a point of the kind of love that we call the affection love or the brotherly love. That Solomon was telling us that there's a kind of friend that can stick to us to a point of time that it would be much more that affection that exists between them would be more stronger than the affection that exists between brothers. When you read other versions of the same scripture, let's take the NIV. says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to room, and there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Yeah. So this scripture was also advising us about uh, some say if you have many friends, if you, you are not discriminate about making many friends, you are, you are going to get into trouble. Yeah. I think many versions put it in different ways. But the most important part is that there is a friend who sticks closer than the brother. So that's just for Shelia, the affection of the brother in love. And then we move on to the next type of love that we have. That is called the Eros. Eros. Or what we also know in the English language as romantic love. And I believe this is the kind of love that um, when we talk of the word love, this is what actually comes to our minds most of the time. And it looks like that is not supposed to be the ideal, but looking at the nature of our world and where our world is heading to, anytime you talk of love, automatically our minds move to romantic kind of love due to the way we have been brought up and how our cultures have been shaped. And it's not a romantic love is something bad, but romantic love is something that has been, or God designed that love, or he made it and dedicated it specially to 
married couples. Yeah, he, he made it specially for married couples. Yeah. So if you are not married, then you don't have any business entertaining romantic kind of love in your life. Yeah, and they say it represents the idea of sexual passion and then desire. So that's eros. And should I say it's quite sad that the way we have been brought up, love to us always means. Or in this our world, when you talk about love, most of us begin to think about sex and then the last food is that, that follows it. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Romantic love is not evil on its own. It is just designed for people who are married to enjoy that kind of love. But our cultures have now perverted with us, made romantic love the center stage of the word love. Yeah. So we look into that. And then the next kind of love that I also want us to take note of is the philosophical love. So that is what we call the self-love. Self-love. So just from the name, you can know what this kind of love means. That's having love for yourself. And it's very interesting because the word of God actually talks about or speaks against loving yourself. My word admonishes us to love our neighbors rather as ourselves. To love our neighbors as ourselves. The Bible also speaks about um, Jesus said that what can a man give in exchange for his life? You gain the whole world and you lose your soul. Then what have you had? And it is in that way that if you love yourself, it will be very difficult for you to love others because automatically it's a kind of idolization or let's say idolatry. You would try to get things for yourself and then pride and envy are all going to crop into your life. So it's very difficult for you to think about others. Yeah. So social love is not something that, um, well, let me say it is alien to the word of God. The word of God speaks against social love. It rather encourages us to love others. I mean, we love our neighbors as ourselves. Okay. Then we also have another kind of love that we call the Lodos or the playful love. Um, and I think based on your research, maybe you have different meanings or different kind of meanings for the kind of, um, the types of love that I mentioned here. So that's just by the way. So the next one is uh, Ludus, L-U-T-U-S. And that is what we call the playful love. And it's, we find as the affection, that exists between young lovers in the early stages of falling in love. Uh, I, I didn't know that maybe those who are falling in love and our platform will be able to tell us this kind of love. Yeah. So the same example is teasing and then flirting. So more like a beginning ignition of love that exists between people who are beginning to fall in love. That kind of love is called the ludus. Okay. Then we also have Xenia. That's guest love. Xenia. X. E-N-I-E, X-E-N-I. So that's the love that you show to, or what you call hospitality. So let's say you go to somebody's house and I think it exists between a lot of cultures. And as Ghanaians, one of the things that we are known for is our hospitality, how we are able to accept people from, or strangers from other cultures. If you go to somebody's house, maybe the person might not know you, but able to show you a certain kind of love, they would welcome you, maybe offer you some water or some drink. So that's kind gesture 
is what we call the Zenia love or the guest love. That's showing hospitality to someone or the love that exists between the guest and then the hosts. Okay. Then we also have mania. And I'm sure most of us have come across this word. And this kind of love is also known as the obsessive love. That's having love with obsession. And from what I read, they said this kind of love is a type of love that can leave a partner into madness. So they say that when there is an imbalance between eros, that's romantic love, and then ludus, then that is when you are going to have mania. So when there isn't a balance, that's why it's specifically stated that the romantic or the eros love is with those who are married or married couples. So when there is an imbalance between your romantic love and then the ludus, that's when we have mania coming onto the scene and when we read the bible a perfect example would be the incident between Amnon and Tamar I think in our subsequent studies we look into that case too okay so the last but one that I want us to note of is pragma pragma that's what we call enduring love so this kind of love exists between people who are aged, who are matured and who have developed over time. And most of the time it exists between married couples, friends, siblings, who have been together for a long time. Yeah, so pragma is just an enduring love that exists between people who have stayed together for long. So maybe you've been friends with someone for, let's say, elementary school up to the tertiary level, and maybe you are still friends here. Yeah, you can classify that kind of love to be pragma because you know these years there are going to be times that the relationship will be on highs and then lows it's like when you've been through things together this is the kind of love that actually comes to play and married couples obviously they are always together so they are going to be fights here and there arguments and disagreements but when they continue to stay together even to the point of death, we know that pragma love is on the scene. And then we move on to the last one of these. Well, let me see the greatest form of love. That is called the agape love, the unconditional love, the selfless love. And this is the God kind of love that we have. And some research says that this is the highest and most radical type of love. Yeah, so we've looked at about eight or nine types of love and the one that excels amongst all these loves is the agape kind of love so we move straight into the agape kind of love and as i stated the agape kind of love is a god kind of love the love that exists in the father or the love that god should or continues to show to mankind so i want us to look at five attributes of the agape love i believe there are a lot of attributes of the love of god the love of god i would like to say dimension is like you can't measure the length you can't measure the breadth the depth and even the height of it and it's focus our minds and there's a lot that we can talk about concerning the love of god but i just want us to touch on these five that i believe is going to bless our lives here um, the bible said that is the 
glory of God to continue matter, but it is the honor of kings to search out. So when we continue to search out the scriptures, we are going to see light in them. All right, so first of all, the first attribute that I want us to touch on concerning the love of God is that the God kind of love or agape love transforms life. I wanted a much better way to replace it, but pardon me for lack of words, but it is what I have. That the God kind of love transforms life. And I want us to look at a scripture in first John chapter 3, verse 1. Okay, I'm reading from the King James Version. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. I take it again. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And to me, I believe this is the greatest privilege or the greatest impact that the love of God has had on humanity. That's we know from Genesis about how Adam fell, um, how man fell in the beginning after the earth, the, the tree that God had told Adam not to eat, and how we had fallen short of the glory of God. And then God had to redeem us by sending his son Jesus Christ. And then John is trying to tell us that the manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us, and that that privilege to be called the Son of God is is the greatest privilege that we can have. And we know that God created Adam and we know that Adam, we have the first Adam and then the second Adam. We know that the first Adam failed. I would say that the first Adam was a life being so, but the second Adam was a quickening spirit. And the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are part of me. Behold, all things have become new. So to be called the son of God is actually the greatest thing that you can ever think of. Thus, I believe it's the greatest impact that a capital love has had on humanity. That's transforming us because when we were, or when we had fallen, the Bible said that we were aliens unto God. When you read the book of Ephesians chapter 2, that is said that in times past, okay, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. It says, and you had he quickened. We were dead in sin and trespasses. So we were actually dead. And verse 2 says, Wherein in time past, you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the last of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The verse 4 says that by God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, where he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, had quickened us together, Jesus Christ, by grace ye are saved. So the Bible is trying to make us understand that when man had fallen, we were in our worst state, we were dead in sin and trespasses. But the, the, the love of God was able to fish us out and then not just restore us back to the state of Adam, but actually it has made us the sons of God. And it has made us heirs to the throne of God and even co-heirs or joint heirs uh, with Christ. And it, it, it's very, very important that we get to understand this. 
that this is the greatest privilege that we can have. And I, I believe in our previous series, um, we talked about one example that a lot of us would give anything that we have to become children of, let's say, the kids or children of Jebusos or some of these prominent figures in our world now. But when you speak to someone and you tell the person that the person is a child of God, it looks like an understatement because we don't we lack the understanding of what it means to be a child of God. Because if you are a child of God, there are myriads of possibilities that have been made available to you. And looking at it from the perspective that when we were sinners, it was when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, that was when the love of God was able to fish us out and then transform our lives from dead men to become not just living men, but actually the son, the living God. And I believe this is the greatest privilege that the, the God kind of love has been bestowed upon us to be actually called, not just the called, but has made us the sons of God. It's very, very important that we get to understand this this great feature about the love of God and it has transformed our lives from being dead men be his son because a lot of us would love to be called the child not even the child but most of us would just love from an acquaintance or maybe I sat with the gates in a plane or I shook his hand or I took his photograph and when you tell somebody that you are a child of God it's nothing happens to the person because we lack that level of understanding by if we're able to know the, the privileges and then the advantages that the love of God has given to us and placing us or making us being able to be called a sons and if we get this understanding it's going to transform our lives. I want us to look at, at this scripture in the book of John chapter one verse twelve that talks about Jesus Christ. That's it that um, as many that believe, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. As many of them that believe, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. Okay, so I read from the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul was speaking about the fact that he is able or he always abounds in thanks when he thinks about the beloved of the Lord. That's we being part of the body of Christ, or we being able to have access to salvation. So he says that, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because the Lord had from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirits and belief of the truth. Yeah. And then when you read the book of Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4, talks about how God has made us partakers of his divine nature. That is his very essence. The book of 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. It says, okay, let me start from the verse 3. It says, according as his divine power had given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Yeah, so the love of God that transforms our lives has made us not just his sons, but we have made partakers of his divine nature. So we are actually part of the Godhead, 
we have made partakers and we are participants of the very nature and the very essence of God. Okay, so we are actually extensions of God on this world. All right, so I want to move on to the next attribute that I want us to talk about, and that is the giving aspect of the love of God or agape love gives. So when you read the book of John chapter 3 verse 16, and I believe this scripture is ubiquitous to all of us, even to unbelievers, whether you're a student of the word or not. And it says that for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the emphasis is on the first statement that says that for God to love the world that he gave. So the scripture gives us an idea or gives us the previous knowledge that God loves us by giving us his son. So when you say that you have the love of God as a Christian or as a believer, one of the cardinal signs that we are supposed to see in the love that you are proclaiming is that you should be a giver. Yes. And I stated in our first episode that um, the first time that we heard of the word love being used in the Bible is it was when God had instructed Abraham to sacrifice his son. And when you look at the diction of what God was or how the writer put it, he said God said that you should sacrifice your son, your only son whom you lovest. Yeah, so it's it's quite interesting uh, looking at that scenario between Abraham and then um, God after he had gone through about 25 years to get his first son and then God asked him to give back his son. It's very interesting. Yeah, so I'm just trying to make us understand that the God kind of love gives and we see that or the evidence is in how God showed us that love by giving us his only begotten son to come and then die for us. And when you read the book of Matthew also, Matthew chapter 20 verse 28, this was Jesus Christ himself speaking. He says that even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He says the son of man did not come to be ministered unto, or the son of man did not come to serve, but he came to serve and then to give his life as a ransom for many. So giving is very, very important. Or It is one of the conspicuous aspects of the love of God. That anytime we see the love of God in play, it goes hand in hand with giving. And I also say that um, giving also goes hand in hand with sacrifice because most of the time, when you are giving, it looks like you are losing. Or sometimes you have to be inconvenienced before you can give. Yeah, sometimes you have to give your very last to help somebody. Yeah, but the Bible encourages us that we should give because it is going to be given unto us. And most of the time, when you look at how the Bible or the principles of the Bible works, it's quite interesting. When you give, it looks like you are losing, but the Bible says that when you give, it will be given unto you. It didn't say that when a Christian gives or when a believer gives, it says when you give, it shall be given unto you. So whether you are a Christian or you are a Muslim, a Buddhist, that principle works as it is. So once you give, we know that it's definitely going to be given unto you. And then when you read also Mark chapter 10 verse 45, it also buttresses the point that the God kind of love always gives. So I want us to move on to the third point that speaks about, or let me say, the God kind of love or agape love forgives and forgets. 
the agape love of God forgives and forgets. And I believe this is one of the very difficult aspects of the love of God. That is in practice, or when you look at the practicality of this aspect of God as believers or as Christians, to me, I believe that this is the very aspect that is very um, difficult because forgiving and forgiving and sometimes even the forgetting aspect is let me see the worst part of it but sometimes you can forgive but trying to forget is most of the time the problem so let us look at what the word of god says in isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 okay it says um, i even i i am he that blotted out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. So this is God speaking, and God is saying that when he forgives, or when he blots out your sins and transgressions, he does not remember them again. And I think there is one part of scripture that I still, sometimes I had difficulty understanding it, because when you look at the vastness of the power of God, and how God is looking at his attributes, and God saying that he doesn't remember your sin anymore. It's it's quite interesting because the Bible says that nothing is hid from God. Like everything is in plain sight. And this is God actually saying that when he talks about, uh, when it comes to our sins, when he forgives us, he forgets the sins. So he does not remember them again. It's, it's very, very interesting. So what this scripture is also trying to tell us is that as Christians, we are supposed to be extensions of God's love and we have to forgive and then forget. I believe there's this popular adage that says that to be human is to err and to forgive is divine. Yeah. So as human beings, we are always going to have people offending us. Even Jesus Christ said that sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. So it's like every day you are going to have temptations and then trials or people trying to people who step on your toes and then offend you here and there. But as a believer, with the love of God shed abroad in your heart, one of the essential aspects of this love is that this love forgives and forgets. And so the Holy Spirit grants us that ability to forgive and then forget. It's just for us to partner with the Holy Spirit and accept that ability to forgive and forget. Because I believe it is very difficult when you are forgiving somebody of the sin that a person has done to you and also forgetting it. Sometimes the incident can be in such a way that you might not be able to forget it. When we talk about forgetting it, it's like you are you are taking the life out of that incident. So let's say you can remember the incident, but you no longer take hold of that incident again. Like you just leave everything to be after forgiving the person, yeah. So maybe you can still remember the incident. That doesn't mean that you have forgotten, do you get it? Um, but when you know that incident doesn't have an impact on you, let's say sometimes you can um, have an incident and the incident, anytime it is mentioned or brought back, it maybe sends some chills down your spine. And that means the incident still has something in you. But when you've forgotten about the incident, even though you can still remember that incident vividly, but it doesn't pose any effect on you when that incident is brought back. So that's the forgetting aspect about the love of God. I also read 
Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33 to 35. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33 to 35. It says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I remember their sin no more. The last passage is that for I will forgive their iniquity, and I remember their sin no more. So this scripture is encouraging us to follow suit or to portray the love of God that even God is trying to say that when he rules in the new commandment, he is going to forget, forgive us of our sins and then he's not going to remember them anymore. And as Sam said in the beginning, the scripture says that we should be perfect as our father in heaven is. So if our father is forgiving and then forgetting our sins, then are expected to do same or to do likewise to others, not just believers, but unbelievers. Then I want us to look at the scripture in the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. It says, For when we were yet without sin, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet per adventure for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So um, this scripture is, is very powerful. It talks about how God sent Jesus Christ to even come and die for us in our sins. God didn't wait for us to repent or turn away from our sins. Because of the power that love has, and when you have love, you do that love does not have enemies. Yeah, so God was, or the apostle was trying to say that it is very difficult for you to find someone who would die for a righteous man. And even if the man is a good man, someone would dare to die for a person. And it's very interesting that maybe you would find some families that maybe the father is not yet willing to die for their children. Uh, the mother is not willing because having life is, is sweet. It's, it's very interesting. Everybody wants to live and then live long. Yeah. So dying for someone is a very, very difficult thing. And even Jesus Christ went on to say that dying for someone is the greatest form of love. He said, greater love has no man than for a man to lay down his life for his brethren. Yeah, so for the highest form of the senate or the apex of love is to die for someone. And the scripture is trying to tell us that Jesus Christ came to die for us while we were sinners and while we were yet in our worst states. Yeah, so these three scriptures makes us understand that we should just go on to forgive and then forget sins. And if we are not willing to forgive and forget the sins of our bread, we should know that God is also going to hold on with our sins and then you hold us responsible. Okay, so the next point I want to talk about before I bring this or my portion to a close, or the fourth point, it says that the love of God is everlasting. The love of God is everlasting. And I want us to see that in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. It says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, 
saying, Yeah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Yeah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So this scripture is, talk- oh, is telling us about the nature of the love of God. That's this love is everlasting. It spans from eternity to eternity. This love does not know an end. And time, or it's not captured within time. That is the God kind of love. So God has given us this kind of love through his Holy Spirit. And we are expected to live out this love in our lives. So the love that you have for your brethren, it shouldn't have, um, let me say, a time span. Now let's say you, you love somebody for two years and then after those years the love that you have for the person diminishes that's not a god kind of love the god kind of love exists forever and ever it's it's from eternity to eternity it doesn't know end yeah so nothing should prevent us from cutting the supply of love that we give to our brethren or even to our enemies as the bible entreats us to love our enemies yeah so if it is the core kind of love if it is the agape love then i want to entreat us and make us know that that kind of love doesn't have an end by stretches from eternity to eternity the last point i want us to take note of is that the God kind of love is unbreakable. The God kind of love is unbreakable. And this is seen in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. This is Apostle Paul speaking. So let me start from the verse 36. It says, As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 7, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Verse 38, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus a lot amen so this is making us understand that the love of god is inseparable there is nothing that exists or nothing that is yet to exist that will be able to break us or take us away from the love of god the love of god or agape love has that or it is that powerful to the extent that nothing that we can see or nothing or the invisible things or nothing that we can think of or imagine of at home can take us away from the love of God. So it doesn't matter the trials and temptations. Sometimes when you look at the storms that befalls us, you you begin to question and ask yourself that where is our God and where is God? But you have to understand that the God kind of love, as we saw in the fourth point, that is it's everlasting. It doesn't have an end or it is not captured in time. It transcends the borders of time. And not just that, but it is also unbreakable and then inseparable. Nothing on this earth can separate us, not even the oppression of demons, not the principalities or powers, not even death was able to overcome that love. So I just want us to understand these attributes that we've 
studies so far. The first one is that the God kind of love transforms our lives. The second one talks about the giving aspect of the God kind of love or agape love. And the third one talks about agape love, that's the forgiving aspect and then forgetting. The fourth one talks about the love being everlasting. And then the last point talks about the love being unbreakable or inseparable. So I would like to end here and I would allow my friends to continue. Thank you very much. God bless you. Okay, so we just want to pray and thank God for his love. We just want to thank God for the love that transforms us, the love that took us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We want to thank God for his love, the love that forgives, the love that forgives us, the love that gives us the ability to have a relationship with him. We want to thank God for the love that continually gives, the love that caused him to give his one and only begotten son. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for this love that has made us the children of you. We thank you for this love that has cleansed us, that has made us new creations, that has made us a new creation. We thank you for this love, your love that has transformed us. Father, we pray that may this love continually have effects in our life. We pray that may this love continually have the preeminence in our hearts in the name of our Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, for loving us. We thank you for not giving up on us. And we thank you for making us the apple of your eye in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you for being around and we'll meet God with you next week even as we look at our third episode of Love. Remember to give God your best and to make sure that you owe nobody nothing this week but love. See you next week and bye-bye. Bye! So long for you, this heart beats for you.